Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Huddle Up with Howard. I'm Mike Claiborne. And of course, you see Howard Richards there. And uh, we've got a lot of things to talk about, Howard. We'll stay on the college scene this week because there's a lot of things that have taken place since our last chat. The bowl season has been decided. So we've got 42 games. Are there 84 good teams that are actually I know they, they meet the requirement of being bowl eligible. There's one thing to be eligible. There's another thing to be worthy. So do we really have 40 or 84 teams that we think people are going to pay attention to? <laughs> it depends on who you ask. <laughs> if you ask the fan bases of uh, those schools hey, you, that are going, they will say yes. Most of well, them, not all of them. <laughs> I tell you what, the coach will because he, he's got a reason to justify his existence by getting into a bowl game, and he uses all the things from recruiting and extra practices and stuff like that. But one of the things that I've noticed – when we see some of these bowl games, uh, the, maybe some of the new ones or some of the ones that don't really feature well-known names or schools, there's nobody there. I mean, yeah. they play in these massive stadiums, mm -hmm. and you look up and the cameras don't like to pan up too much because there's nothing but empty seats. You know, what these bowls should do is use uh, what was done during the pandemic last year that a lot of NBA games, especially, and get the cardboard cutouts and fill the stands <laughs> with They stash uh, somewhere. It, it sure has come down to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if some of these bowls, if you, if you give away tickets, if people will even show up. Um, but I think that, it, listen, the, the, the bowl season has been saturated, and you mentioned 42 bowls. That's a lot. And I've always – listen, I'm, I'm former Zoo going to a bowl game, but, you know, we – to become bowl eligible, you have to win only six games. Um, with a 12-game college season, six and six is average. Um, so do, how do we – I think maybe uh, the importance or the uh, allure of bowl games will be better if you um, – made the, the 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 rule that teams had to win seven games or more. Um, I don't know. But but here's the other thing. Once the college football playoff is expanded, a lot of these bowl games are going to go away. That's just what I believe. Because no, I, I viewership agree. will go way down. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's what college football, you know, the evolution of it in so many different ways, that's probably – it wouldn't surprise me if that's the next step. I'm going to come back to that subject in a minute. Uh, I want to stay on the subject, though, of, of the bowls. Is there, other than the playoffs, is there one matchup you're looking forward to other than Missouri and Army? Um, you know, I don't know. Um, I think there are some 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 of the next tier teams mm -hmm. uh, that the new year's day six bowls are probably going to be the, the, the best bowl games. Uh, I haven't really looked at the, uh, the actual matchups uh, other than the day that they were announced and had, hadn't studied them, but you know, what does a team like Kentucky do um, as they continue to ascend uh, up the ladder in the SEC East? Have they reached uh, – has it reached its ceiling? You know, will they continue to improve? Um, teams like Oklahoma, now that uh, – Lane, uh, excuse me, not Lane Kiffin, uh, Lincoln Riley has moved on to USC. What happens there? You know, what's that program going to look like? So uh, I think the teams, those games will be interesting to see, um, you know, how they – you know, who coaches, 
um, and you know what it does to their recruiting. Now that these coaches uh, have have moved on, you know there are a lot of coaches' movements this year. There's been a lot of coach movement, I should say. Um, Mario Cristobal from Oregon to Miami, um, Billy Napier to Florida, um, certainly Brian Kelly to LSU. Uh, so the landscape of college football is is going to change. Um, how much we just don't know, but um, it'll 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 make for an interesting off season to see some of the moves and uh, you know see. You know, next week, six days is the early signing date. We'll see how that affects um, uh, schools and you know, as they attract, you know, their top recruits. You know, Missouri, I understand its recruiting class has kind of moved up to, I think, maybe number 11 um, for whatever reason. So uh, that's exciting. Even, you know, they finished six and six and they're going to a bowl game playing against Army. Um, but you, you have to look towards the future with, you know, all the talk about Luther Bird III coming in, who's going to play quarterback A in the bowl game, and who possibly may be uh, the opening day uh, starter at quarterback for Missouri in 2022. So lots lots of things that the, the scenes are being set uh, right now during bowl season, I believe. And obviously we'll continue into the offseason with spring football. All right, I'm going to touch on Mizzou here for a second because I want to get back to the coaches here in a minute as well. Uh, Missouri's playing Army. Army is service academy. They run the triple option. And it's kind of like when you and I were in high school and Chaminade used to run a single wing. It's hard to stop when you don't see it on a regular basis. And while Army may not be physically on the same level as far as alignment are concerned, man, they rush the ball. I mean, they run the ball and they dare you to stop them. They may throw it from time to time. So the question is, with Missouri and their defense being up and down this year, what sort of problems would a team like Army pose for Missouri? Right now, you have to say big problems because we know that we know what Army's going to do. I'd be mm-hmm. shocked if Army scrapped its normal game plan and started throwing the ball around. I just don't see that happening at this point. Um, so for Missouri, obviously it's been four days since they've learned their opponent. Um, they know what it's going to take to stop this team, right? Um, because they've got a lot of speed, uh, at those skill positions. Uh, the focus has to be on, on assignment football defensively. Uh, and now that this is your only opponent, you don't have to look ahead to any other opponents. Uh, you can specifically work with your defense and your defensive schemes um, and make sure that these these young men understand what it takes to stop a team like the triple option. You know, you may have to go back to uh, the days of, of uh, Billy Sims at Oklahoma mm-hmm. to look out some of the teams defended them and see if there's any new wrinkles that you can find out. Um but it, it's it's going to take a to me it's going to be a monumental effort for Missouri to be able to stop a team like this. You remember that bowl game like 10, 11 years ago when Missouri played Navy? Yeah. Oh yeah. And <laughs> you know oh, you yeah. don't want, Missouri wants to avoid a repeat of that. Yeah. Period. But you um, you know but, I'm gonna tell you something. The the thing it's while Navy I mean Army may appear to be a challenge, the basic rules of football apply. Yes, they don't do. let the guy get to your outside shoulder. Make sure you stay low and stay at home. Don't chase because they always come back with counters and they come back with reverses. So it's 
you know, while it, it sounds simple, I think if you just maintain those three things and maybe add a little water here and there, you should be able to deal with Navy, uh, Army because physically you should be a little bit more imposing. Well, and you, you know that, right? You know, you don't, you don't, you don't lose a fight to a little guy, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that doesn't happen where we came from. So, no. I, and that's the thing. Two words: assignment football. Yes, I agree. That's what you have to do on defense. Your players have to be disciplined enough. When your defensive end or the safety or whoever has that responsibility for the quarterback, if he turns his back to you, what can you not do? You can't chase down the line of scrimmage. Exactly. You're going to yep. come upfield and hold. Because I always say this on, on bootlegs when I see this, it drives me crazy. When you see the quarterback turn his back to you and you can't see the ball, Assume that he has it, and he's just going to roll back to you. So if you come mm -hmm. upfield, you're waiting for him. Let someone else make the tackle on that side of the ball. Let your linebackers, let the, the play side do it. But if he comes back your way, then you're in position. You get upfield. You force him to stay in the pocket. That changes how you play bootlegs and what the ultimate outcome will be. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and like I said, sometimes we try and complicate a yes. simple matter, but it, but and, and as you said, when that quarterback turns his back, you better stay at home. You better know where your lane is because the next thing you know, you're going to overrun the play, or you're not going to be in a position to make a play. And you're right, man. We don't see bootlegs enough, but when they work, that's because somebody didn't do their job or didn't stay at home. So I'm anxious to see how that works for Missouri defensively, offensively. We got a quarterback competition going, and, and mm -hmm. I like it. I mean, I know Eli talked a lot of times about trusting Basilak a little bit more than the other guys. Well, the other guys have been there, like Macon's been there since January, all right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my thing is, in, in the times we saw him, he showed flashes of being a guy that might be the next guy. I think throwing an open competition right now is the best thing he could do because if he didn't, He's going to lose at least one quarterback, if not two, to the transfer portal if it's not a fair opportunity to compete for the job. Yeah. And listen, it's a bowl game. You don't have any other opponents after that. Mm -hmm. You don't risk anything by starting Tyler Macon. Uh, give him a chance to run the offense, or, or if it's Brady Cook, whoever. Or maybe you split time. Give each guy a, a, a half to work with. I wouldn't be opposed to that because I think we do need to see what they can do once they know they don't that they don't have the threat of someone else yanking them. If you just say we're going to, this is your game plan. Yeah, you've got this quarter, and you've got the next. Excuse me, you got this half, and you got this half. I would pr prefer to see them play full halves instead of you know alternating each quarter, uh, and then they know so they can prepare for that, um, and you can adjust obviously if you need to beyond that. Uh, it's, it wouldn't necessarily be a, a knock against Basilak um, if he doesn't play in this game. Uh, he's been gimpy. He's been hurt, um, and, and he's not playing with a lot of confidence right now. Obviously, that could change during the, these next couple of weeks while they prepare for Army. But I, I kind of would like to see the young guys play, um, especially Macon. I want to see you know, what he can do once he knows that he's running that offense uh, and he gets three weeks to prepare for a game. That's Howard Richards. I'm Mike Claiborne. We're going to take a break. 
the playoffs are here. We're going to get into what's the right number and a few other things. So stand by. We're coming back after this. Every day. Every day, Amron, Illinois works to deliver reliable energy throughout the state to on-the-go families, in-the-know grandparents, and busy students. But did you know we also have ways to manage your energy? Paperless billing, outage notifications, pick a due date, auto pay, and so much more. So no matter who you are or how you use your energy, there's an option that's right for you. Learn more at AmronIllinois.com options. Welcome back to Huddle Up with Howard. Howard, a couple other things before we get to the playoff expansion. Um, one thing, and you, you touched on this regarding uh, the quarterbacks getting a half. When you have a ball control offense like Army has, you have to be careful here because you may only get the ball once maybe in a quarter. So you, better, you I agree, you better spread it out a little bit and give a guy a full half. And, and maybe – in that, third, in that going in that fourth quarter, maybe you just kind of say, I'm going to go with the hot guy. I'm going to go with the guy who got us to where we're at, if there yeah. is a hot guy. If so there is I, a hot I, guy. So I, I think there's a lot of fun things that we're going to see, and I think your point about, hey, this is the only game on the schedule, so let's just let it all hang out. I, I think that's the best approach they can have right now as far as being able to not only dictate what they're going to do in this particular game, but certainly – uh, build a foundation for next year as they have incoming people and people coming back. And I think it's fun. I think it's a lot of fun. Now, with that said, the one thing person we haven't talked about is Tyler Beatty. Were <laughs> you surprised that he was not a member of the foursome for the Heisman Trophy selection? Surprised and disappointed. Um, yeah. And, and I say that because, listen, we, we know the, the quality of the Southeastern Conference and if you can get through the gauntlet of a 12-game schedule mm-hmm. uh, and you're leading the nation in rushing, or I guess he was probably second in the nation, but you lead the conference in rushing, that, to me, that accounts for something. It's just like you, you know if, you, if you're a team that wins the championship game, you're in the playoff. Right. You know, to me, it should, it should I don't know, I just think he should have been there, um, especially – and the way he did it, five 200-yard rushing games this season. Um, but, you know, listen, there there are misses. Uh, the guy's going to get his due one day. He'll be playing in the National Football League and making a ton of money next year. But, you know, the best thing I can say about Tyler Beatty, or what, among all the, the, the superlatives that you can throw out about him, um, and we've seen a lot of guys decide to sit out their bowl games, he has opted to play. Now, I don't know how much he will play, but I think it just speaks about, you know, how he feels about his team um, and the guys that got him there. Uh, I, I think he feels that he owes it to his teammates to at least be ready to play. And, and that that just speaks to the type of person that he is. Um, and you listen to people to say, oh, yeah, he shouldn't play. He's got too much to risk. Dude, well, then why play all season? Why play yeah. in your last game? You know, I, I could I could beat that argument all day long. But I think it just it just speaks to the the type of player and person and, and, and the high character guy that he is. So well, I'm looking forward to. It. I don't think he'll play more than a, a quarter or a half because you got some other running backs that you need to look at. Yeah. So um, well, I'm glad you brought that up because the next subject I wanted to bring up is playoff expansion. Um, every year we have a, people who are on the outside looking in saying we got to expand this thing. I'm sure people at Ohio State and Oklahoma State would say, hey, you know, Notre Dame would all say, you know, we deserve a shot at this thing. 
my question is is a when you how much how many more teams do you want to expand it by b you're going to get to a point where you're going to be playing as many games as an nfl schedule and c physically how did these kids hold up because not only are they playing and practicing and going to school I mean, I, I just don't know if they can hold up. And, and to your final point about Beatty staying, <clears throat> what kind of impact from a draft perspective would this have on a kid who played an entire season? And then, oh, by the way, we'd like for you to come to the combine. I, I think the, the risk of injury is heightened more if you expand this thing. And for those blue chip players who have plans on playing on Sunday, they really have to stop and think about how far they want to go. It's a good argument, and it can go either way. The other thing is you can look at, uh, say, a guy like Tyler Beatty, who's not the largest running back uh, we've seen. He goes about 5'9", 5'10", maybe, if he's on his tiptoes. Uh, but, you know, he, he packed on a lot of weight in the offseason, built it with muscle, and uh, proved that he could hold up under that grind. Playing those additional games, I, I think what it does from a, from a beneficial standpoint, it it, it speaks to the durability of a player. You know, the National Football League expanded its season to 17 games. Uh, they took away a preseason game, but so it's really about the same. Uh, but then you get to see how a guy can hold up under those conditions. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. The other thing is, you know, I know they would ultimately be playing more games. And the, the one concern about expanding the season is, hey, these are student athletes. They got to go to class. You know, how do we do this? Well, maybe you could back the season up and start yeah, two weeks. Up. Yeah, start two weeks into August. I mean, the NFL preseason's already there. Um, you don't have the risk of school. So really nothing changes. Um, what about taking one of the blood donors off the schedule? I, I Listen, I'm all for that. I'm yeah. all for that. I, mean, I just don't think we should be playing those games. Uh, yeah. There's no, there's no benefit, in my opinion, unless you're playing all younger players to see what kind of depth you have. But then people aren't going to show up to see that. They want to see your frontline players on the field. So I'm a big uh, proponent of of getting rid of those blood donor games and just listen. I we play all SEC schedule for all I'm concerned because. You know, then that's where the rubber meets the road. I mean, it's like the NFL. Yeah. You're playing the best competition, which improves your status. You know, when you start talking about uh, uh, playoff teams and, and experience and strength of schedule and all that. You know, um, I think what I'd like to see, you kill the blood donor game. <clears throat> you either play a regional opponent, whether it's Missouri, Illinois, Missouri, Iowa, or you play a team in a comparable conference. So let's say you finish third place in the SEC. Then you have the options to play the third place team in the Big Ten, third place team in the ACC, you know, some or the Big 12 if there's going to be one. I mean, I would like to see that because, again, comparable conference, comparable competition. And people would probably be more interested in that compared to watching East Toenail State Wesleyan north you know i mean it's just it, nobody like nobody cares about those games except the alums or the legacy parents who's got little johnny the fourth who's on the team not gonna play a lot so maybe he'll get some snaps against one of the one of the blood donors but it, in, the, in the at the end of the day it doesn't serve a purpose you don't make any money you don't have a good fan turnout 
And, you know, the fact that you go out and hang 60 on somebody doesn't really prove much because the following week you're going to play somebody who's much better and will really put you in the place that maybe you deserve to be. Yeah, and I think a lot of teams have the tendency to play down to their competition. Yeah. So to the yeah. point that you you don't really get to see. Like, you walk away, okay, well, what it, nothing against Southeast Missouri State, but what did Missouri gain by playing that game? What do we see? Well, we did see a few weaknesses that got exposed, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't give you a real picture of what this team's going to look like down the road. We all know that early in the season, especially in college football, that teams just aren't very sharp. Um, and it's 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 just the nature of, of the business. But if you're playing stiffer competition, I think you learn a lot more about your football team early on, so, you know, sooner rather than later. Take another break. We'll be back after this. At St. Louis Acura and Alden Toyota, we are proud of our dedication to service, and we continue to serve our community. From now until December 12th, bring a new unwrapped toy from Marine Corps Reserve Toys for Tots to support 323 Marines who in 2020 collected toys for over 78,000 children. Drop off at either St. Louis Acura or Alden Toyota. St. Louis Acura and Alden Toyota becoming better than ever for you. Final segment with Huddle Up with Howard. And we touched on this early about coaches moving around. And uh, it's one of those things where we're seeing incredible money being thrown at these guys uh, to go in and try and save a program or bring back the glory days, whatever you want to call it. Uh, So there's a couple of things I look at here. We always talk about the head coach, but what about those assistants, those coordinators, those position guys? They have to uproot their families if they get invited to come with that coach or if you're at Notre Dame where Marcus Freeman was able to basically retain everybody. Uh, that that's a comforting situation. But when we talk about coaches moving around, we're not just talking about one guy. We're, we're talking about 10, 12 other people and their families and the other people that come with it. It, it is a very challenging and dicey time for coaches, especially with the signing date being moved up. Uh, guys don't have a lot of time to think about where the next stop's going to be because the interview process is on and kicking. Yeah, those are great points. And, you know, a lot of coaches – in many, well, in many cases, what they will do if they've got a family will choose to leave that family behind if they've got young children that are still in school, especially if it's a school district that they like or a particular, you know, uh, parochial school, Catholic schools, whatever the case may be, um, instead of uprooting them and, um, you know, moving them to a whole new environment, which often can, you know, can cause some difficulties in learning and adjusting. Um, but it's tough on families. It, it truly is, especially those with with younger children. Um, and a lot of, in a lot of ways, it's easier to do it that way um, for some, not for others. If you're now you've moved on to the next school, you know the family's taken care of back at the other place, and you can just focus on you know getting your players ready. You don't have to worry about you know, putting kids to bed at night mm-hmm. and reading them bedtime stories. But by the same token, there are those that really rely on their families and love having them there with them. So, you know, there's, there are pluses and minuses to both of those scenarios. Um, but ne- either way, it, it's not, it, it's not just as easy as, Hey, I'm out, I'm going to the next school and everything will be all honky dory. It's, it's just not that simple. And, and in a case like Brian Kelly, you know, he's going to start with an entirely new staff. Um, yeah. 
And, you know, your, your assistant coaches matter. It's not just you as the head coach, because in a lot of cases, you know this, the head coach acts more like a CEO and doesn't do as much on-field coaching. Now, that, that varies from place to place. But, um, you know, choosing assistants is a big deal. And you've got to get it right, right away, especially at an institution like LSU where Brian Kelly's going to go, going to go. Well, you, you touch on something about the assistance, and I, and I think Kelly's in deep shit already, okay? He didn't get anybody to come with him. He brought in the guy who used to be the top recruiter at LSU, and I think that's the only thing that may help him. But because when you start talking about assistance, you better, the first person, you better hire somebody to go get you some players. That's right. And if you don't do that, Uh, you know, you're in trouble. And and, And then go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. But, you know, and what that means for people that don't understand it, recruiting is area knowledge, knowing the high school coaches. A lot of times it's knowing those families. Um, You've got to be in those communities communities and have a presence. You got to build trust among the players and the families and the coaches. Uh, And if you can't do that, your recruiting will not be successful. No, and you don't have that kind of time like you used to. Yeah. You know how they say, well, you know, you got to give them three or four years to turn things around. Well, no, wait a minute. This is this is LSU. This is the yeah. SEC. We already got good players. We already have good players here. We just need a few more, and we just need a different voice. I, I think the way Kelly has gotten off on the wrong foot, and, and I think a lot has to do with – I think I don't think Notre Dame was really excited about him at the end. You know, he broke Rockney's record. And, you know, that was kind of unwritten rule. Nobody breaks Rockney's record, which is why we've seen some other guys leave early. Uh, then he goes down. Here's a guy from Massachusetts trying to sound like he's from the Bayou. I mean, there was so many things wrong with him. And then you hear the stories about how he treated some of his assistants back in the day, uh, having them shovel snow for his holiday party and park. Hey, I need some, and need like some mulch that. over here. You know? Exactly. I mean, so... He's not what you be, you call the most endearing person. And, you know, we, we saw them gas a coach who won the national championship two years ago. Yes. So they don't have any time for excuses. They want to be able to compete again. And I think the same thing can be said at Oklahoma. It's going to be said at USC. All those schools with tradition, they don't give you the three, four-year window. If they don't see improvement after two, then, you know, there's going to be some changes made. And now what we see is head coaches, they fire an assistant in the middle of the season to buy themselves a little bit more time. Uh, I've never seen so many assistants get get canned during the season that we did this season uh, in college football. I, I've never seen it before. And I think it just shows you the pressure that the head coach is under. Yeah, we saw it in a number of places. We saw it at Bazoo, um, mm-hmm. saw it at Florida. Um you know, how much did it really help? It, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And, and in the case of Missouri, I think it helped a little bit uh, by when they when they decided to fire the defensive line coach, Jethro Franklin, who'd only been there eight or nine months. Um, and then they've all but elevated uh, Al Davis to the to be the new defensive line coach. As of a couple of days, as of Sunday, uh, he had an offer to become Mizzou's next defensive line coach. Maybe by now he's wrapped that all up. But um, at Florida, you know, Florida fired its uh, a well-known defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham. Yeah. Uh, and an offensive line coach, John Hattesey. Those guys have been in the, in the industry for a long time. But listen, it, it comes down to wins and losses. And if you're not getting it done, 
they'll wave bye-bye to you. I mean, you just mentioned the whole thing with LSU and Ed Ocheron. Like, hey, what have you done for us lately? That's what it's all about. Yeah, and in the coming weeks, we're going to visit with a couple of agents, uh, Bob Lattenville, who's represented a number of college coaches and also universities, and get into this very fact about contracts and how they work. And when you wave bye-bye, how much is it going to actually cost you? A lot of different scenarios in this in this new field. So here's here's a question for you. With what we see universities paying coaches and you see how the NFL works, what's the safer job? The, the pressure of recruiting and getting 18 year old kids to listen to you or the fact that you've got such a layer, multiple layers in the NFL, player personnel, general manager, president of football operations and all the other titles a very aggressive media, grown men who in some cases you can't talk to anymore. Who's got the better gig right now? Because the money's almost the same. I think really being an NFL coach is easier because you take the recruiting element out of it. You've got guys that are sitting in meeting rooms all day. They're being paid to do a particular job. They don't have to worry about going to class. All they got to do is be professionals and show up on Sundays. Um, and hone their skills if they're committed mm-hmm. to this. I think the NFL uh, game is, is, is easier in that regard um, because recruiting is so difficult. Yeah. And not a lot of coaches have the, um, the, the fortitude, that foundation to be able to, to go in and, and talk to in an honest way to someone's mama and daddy and grandma and grandpa and auntie and uncle. And you, and it's not get, the easiest thing in the world to and do. You get some coaches checking out mama making that apple pie, and you're like, hey, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's so it, – yeah, it has a lot of other distractions to it. There's no doubt yeah. about that. Um, but, you know, coaching is – it's it's a volatile industry, whether it's college or high school or the yeah. NFL. Uh, it's it's more volatile than it's ever been. It's about production. Right. You've got to produce, um, or you're going to be on the bench someplace. Yeah, and you know, if you're an athletic director or a general manager, you probably get two hires. And if it's not working after the second one, then guess what? They're saying bye bye to you as well. And, and it's it's changed so much uh, in where we're going. So, final question for you, uh, Marcus Freeman. 35 years old, played in the NFL. Well, he was he was in a lot of camps. Mm-hmm. Good player at Ohio State, man of color. Where does this take coaches now where we, we're seeing guys who are people of color that are maybe being considered more? You and I had a great conversation off the air last week about the enemy. And I really think if it wasn't for the fact that he would have had to have left immediately because recruiting now requires that, he would have been a good he would have been a good find for Notre Dame, especially the fact because of what he's been able to do on the NFL level. But I start thinking about the fact that maybe if he was on a bad team, maybe he would have left. But, you know, it's Kansas City and, you know, Kansas City could find easily find themselves deep in the postseason or if not back in the Super Bowl. Uh, a very unique situation. But down the road, do you see more coaches of color getting these opportunities? I hope so. Listen, <laughs> There are a lot of coaches of color that can get the job done flat out. Uh, and all they do is need an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and listen, we've the, the NFL, you just look at the cross section of players, okay? You know, how do you not 
justify uh, that these these you know if you've got a majority uh, that are African Americans, I think that the breakdown is like seventy percent in the National Football yeah. League. You know, why couldn't uh, a person of color be successful? We already have seen uh, at least two men of color win Super Bowls, right? Tony yeah. Dungy, Mike, Mike Tomlin. Tomlin. Um, so listen, and, it, it's know, about we, time to take the. It's about time to to give qualified coaches the ability to show that they can do the job. Well, we already know that they can do the job. They just need the right opportunities. I agree. All right, man, we're out of time for the day. It's been fun. Uh, we invite everybody to check us out next week. We're going to have a fun guest to visit with and talk some more football as we huddle up with Howard Richards. It's always good to see you, sir. And we appreciate the time. And uh, when do you head out for, uh, when do you head out for, where are we, where are we playing that game at? It will be Amon Carter Stadium, home of the TCU Horned Frogs in Fort Worth, Texas. Fort Worth. And I bet you know one or two people in that neck of the woods. Uh, a few. <laughs> Leaving on uh, Tuesday, December 21st. The game's on the 22nd at uh, 7 p.m. All right. Well, I'll be watching and I'll be talking to you well before then. He's Howard Richards. I'm Mike Claiborne. It's been Huddle Up with Howard here on Claves Online. We thank you for watching and we'll talk to you soon. But first. You know, the only thing faster than this supersonic golf cart are the closing times at thehomeloanexpert.com. Mortgage rates on the twos and we have a 21 day closing guarantee. Apply online today at thehomeloanexpert.com. So you're going to Memphis?